Welcome to Fearless Mom. I cannot believe we are in the last series of this spring. I know I'm going to say it every week until it's over. I can't believe that spring is here and we're almost done. I love that we're ending with emote control. I love that we're focusing for several weeks on helping our kids identify, process, express, and overcome emotions. And today we're going to talk about fear. And I mean, I have so much to say and so little time to say it. So I'm probably even going to talk faster than usual. So put your seatbelt on, is what I'm trying to say. And before we get started, we want to welcome in our online moms. We're so glad that you're able to join us today. We want to give a special shout out to all the remote groups. If you're watching in a church or in any facility with a group of moms, we're so glad that you have found community through Fearless Mom. And we're so glad that we have technology to reach out even to those of you who are listening or watching by yourself. You may be by yourself, but you are not alone. There's a group of moms in the ATX cheering you on. We are for you, we are with you, and we're so glad you're with us today. Let's get started, so we need to pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we can come straight to you, God, the source of everything that is good, the source of courage, the source of wisdom, the source of discernment. We ask right now, God, that you settle our hearts and minds, that you open our eyes and ears so that we can see and hear what you want us to learn today, to be the moms that we were created to be. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I'm going to start by showing you a picture of my friend, Jax. Jax is five years old. I know, y'all wanted to go all. Let's do it all together. Ready? One, two, three. He is amazing. He's an amazing kid. His uh, dad is on staff at our church. Um, He is over all the production and tech and all kinds of stuff. And last year, it was about this time when Chase was coming to rehearsal. Actually, it was the Thursday rehearsal before all of our Easter services. And Joy, his mom, Jax's mom, was home with Violet, the little sister, and Joy was pregnant. So, Chase comes up to rehearsal and says to Deanne, who's also on our staff, and um, Deanne, I think we've got a picture of her and Jax. They're very close. She's kind of like a fake grandmother to him. Yeah, it's the best kind of relationship. Actually, no responsibility, just for fun. It's amazing. So anyway, so um, Chase comes up to Deanne and says, can you, now rehearsal is about to start and everybody's here and it's a pretty big deal. Chase is in charge of a lot at Easter. And so he said to Deanne, Deanne, um, can you take Jax to the doctor? Apparently, Jax had stuck something up his nose. And so Deanne said, absolutely, um, I'll take him to the doctor. We'll get it fixed. You take care of rehearsal. Because Deanne also has big responsibilities. She goes, I'll take care of him and I'll stay in touch with Joy, Jax's mom. So Deanne gets in the car with Jax, starts to go to the doctor. They're talking about it. And they get to the doctor and and um, Jax is talking to Deanne. He says, Dee Dee, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid. And so Deanne says, that's fine. That's understandable. You know what? We can pray. And so they prayed and um, they went into the doctor. The doctor saw Jax, checked him out and said, actually, you need to go to an ENT because the instruments that I have here, um, I can't get to the bead. And so I feel like you need to go to an ENT. 
And so Deanne takes Jax, you know, and gets in the car. They call Joy. The plan is for Joy and Viola to, to meet them at the ENT. And so they're on their way to the doctor, the, to the ENT. And they're talking, and you can, if, if you know Jax, you know he is processing everything and trying to figure out what all is happening. And Deanne is talking to Jax, and they're, you know, explaining that actually the ENT has the instruments that they need to retrieve the bead from his nostril. And um, so, and then Jax is thinking and processing it all, and he says, Dee Dee, I am feeling a little afraid. And she said, that's okay, I understand. And he said, I'm afraid. And she said, Jax, that's, I, I totally understand. And so she's driving and she says, Jax, do you know that you can be brave and afraid at the same time? You can be brave and afraid at the same time. And from the back seat, she hears, what? I did not know that. And she said, yeah, Jax, as a matter of fact, to be brave, you have to first be a little bit afraid. And so you can be brave and afraid at the very same time. So they get to the ENT. They meet Joy. Joy takes Jax. They're going to go into the doctor. And Deanne comes back to rehearsal. So at this point, we're all at rehearsal, and we're waiting to hear what is going on with Jax and the beat up his nose. And so we get a phone call, and all is well. The ENT, the doctor, has been able to retrieve the bead from his nose. And the good news is that Jax was, in fact, brave throughout the retrieval process. <laughs> what an amazing thing that Jax learned about himself that day because of the way Deanne responded to him. His fear was real. She saw that fear. But she taught him that you can, in fact, be afraid and be brave at the very same time. And so he was able to choose brave in the face of fear. And you too, moms, you can be brave and afraid at the very same time. If you're not a wee bit fearful about motherhood, then you're not really understanding the responsibility. Because if, in fact, you look at the responsibility of motherhood, we say around here, the appropriate response is to throw up in your mouth a little bit because it is overwhelming. It is a big deal. But you can, in fact, be brave and afraid at the very same time. We're going to talk about fear today. We're going to talk about equipping our kids to respond to certain fears. But first, we have to look at our own fears. First, we have to evaluate, where do I stand when it comes to fear? It's okay to feel afraid. It's not okay to live afraid. Those are two different things. It's okay to feel afraid. It's not okay to live afraid. Because if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we can allow fear to take up residence in our minds, in our hearts, and then all of our behaviors are driven by fear. I say that all the time. Moms will say to me, I don't want my teenager to do this. I don't want my child to feel this. I don't want to do this. And I go, that's interesting. What do you want? I'd rather focus on parenting toward a vision instead of away from a fear. And if you're not careful, if you're not intentional, fear will overtake your parenting. Because, hey, 
I mean, we watch 2020. It looks like there's a child abduction on every street corner. It looks like every child, if I start reading WebMD, my kid is behind and he is developmentally delayed about everything. It's easy to get overwhelmed and to be afraid, but God did not design you to live that way. He says, Jesus says in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal your joy, to steal your hope, to steal your peace. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, an overflowing life, a life better than you can imagine. That's the peace, that's the hope, that's the joy that we find when we trust in him. When we say, God, I am not equipped. And if you say, you know, God won't give you more than he can handle, interesting and completely false and scripturally inaccurate. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle because his design is not for you to do it by yourself. His design is for you to partner with him and allow him to fill in the gaps, not if, but when you fall short. So are you afraid? If you're not, you should be just a wee bit. But we rest in the confidence. We find peace and hope in the truth that God chose you to be your child's mother. He chose those kids for your home, and he will give you what you need to do the job well. So yes, we have to evaluate our own fears, and as we talk about our kids' fears, we have to approach this with honesty and humility. I have to be honest with myself and acknowledge my fears, and I have to be humble and say, perhaps, I have parented out of fear, and it has negatively affected my children. I want you to know that I've been there. I I am there repeatedly. And when I approach this topic, when I teach it, I am forced to examine how I have parented out of fear, how I parent now out of fear. My kids are, you know, 24, 22. We have uh, bonus kids, uh, other kids who live with us who are 24 and 21. So I've got four now. I mean, you know what? I'm, I'm rocking it. And so, yeah, I'm catching up. Not quite. She has six, but, and I'm good, but I, I have to acknowledge when I am parenting out of fear and I have to say, God, show me things as they really are and give me the humility to say that I have done some things that may pass on fear to my kids, but God, I trust you that I can be stronger and I can be better tomorrow and that you can use even my mistakes in my kids' lives. If I claim Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for good, then I have to believe and trust that God can use my mistakes for his glory and my kids' good. And so that's how I have to approach this whole topic because, you know, I am Miss Worst Case Scenario. I watch the news, I see one pothole in the road, and I believe that Emily is in danger every time she leaves her home. You know, I watch a 2020, I watch a documentary, I read a blog, and all of a sudden, it's happening to me. I'm the person who writes down license plates because I always am convinced that I'm witnessing a crime. I I don't know. I I mean, I imagine in my head I'm going to be called to testify. I can create a whole scenario. You know, and I just know that they are going to ask me, when did you see that? When did you hear that? If I hear a noise, I write it down. I'm like, oh, yeah, I will get that bad guy. I'm like, what? It was probably the neighbor's door. I don't know. There's something wrong with me. But what I'm trying to say is I can let fear take up residence, and I'm not going to do it because here's the deal. I have freckles. My children got my freckles. I didn't choose that. They inherited my freckles. I think it's a bonus. I think it's a wonderful thing. But I didn't choose that. I can choose whether or not they catch my fear. 
I can choose if I pass on fear or if I pass on fight. And I'm going to work hard to pass on fight. Because I know people say faith is the enemy or, you know, the opposite of fear. And I do believe faith plays a part. But I like the verb fight. You know, I like that we fight in the face of fear. I believe courage is not the absence of fear. It is the fight in spite of the fright. It is, that is, that scares me, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is difficult for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. That is the premise that we're talking about today. I don't want to live afraid. Now, before we start talking about our kids and their fears and how we're going to equip them to approach their fears, we have to assume our responsibility and understand that just like Deanne and how she responded with Jax, our response to our children's fears are pretty important. It's pretty critical. And so I'm going to come with a plan so that I'm less likely to panic. Just like I'm going to equip my kid with a plan so he's less likely to panic. I'm going to work on something I can do today to help my kid face those fears with fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready to fight. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I said, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight because my response can determine if my kid freezes in the fear or is free from the fear. My response, it's a pretty big deal. How I respond to my kid's fear, I now determine, just like Deanne, she had a choice in that car. She could have said, oh, buddy, you know what? We don't have to go. We don't have to go. You know what? Blow your nose. And obviously, they'd already tried that. They'd already tried. We don't have, she, her response determined, do I freeze in my fear? But guess what? She empowered Jax because the fact is he had to go to the doctor. And so she acknowledged it and she prayed with him and they prayed that it wouldn't hurt. And then he was now free of that fear. He overcame it because for the rest of Jax's life, he'll have to go to the doctor. And so she empowered him to face it. So let's get on the same page. If you'll look in your notes, we acknowledge our response is pretty critical. So we're going to approach this topic with honesty and humility Let's define fear and anxiety as we're going to use the terms today. Fear, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Fear is about something that hasn't happened yet. Fear is about, it may be because of something that happened, but if I'm fearing something, it is because it hasn't happened yet. So fear is about an anticipation. It's an uncomfortable feeling anticipating something negative. Anxiety. Anxiety takes it up a notch. We, in our language today, we throw around the word anxiety like it's nothing. And and there is a difference between fear and anxiety as we're going to talk about today. Allowing fear to linger and take up residence in your mind and heart, thus negatively impacting your everyday life. Fear is about this right now. I can choose to overcome it. I can freeze or I can be free of it. Anxiety means I've frozen. I've stayed here so long that now the anticipation is so great that I am frozen and it affects my everyday life. 
And we're going to talk about teaching our kids terminology and how important it is to teach our kids this emotional vocabulary because there is a difference between fear and anxiety. And we want to be careful when we use terms with our children, when we teach them that emotional vocabulary, how to articulate what they're really feeling. Last week, we talked about anger. Anger often is a secondary emotion. Anger often is a reaction to fear. So I want you to think about it. If I'm afraid, sometimes I act out. If you have a child who is screaming because they won't get on the bus, it may not be just belligerence and disobedience. We're going to talk about it. It may be fear. And so we have to pray as we talk about fear and helping our kids to prepare for and to be equipped to overcome, we have to say, God, we are completely dependent on you today. We are completely dependent. We teach our kids emotional vocabulary by talking about our own emotions and by helping them figure out their emotions. I, um, one of our moms on our team showed me these charts, and I'm going to pull them up on the screen, but you can find these on Pinterest. Um, they are emojis, like for little kids. These are just nine. Here's one with just nine, the simplest emotions. And then you can go, it depends on your child's age. There are some with 12. There are some with, you know, 18, with 25, depending on your child's age. But it helps teach them emotional vocabulary. It helps them pinpoint. So if it's just a few, if it's, you know, a school age, and now you're bumping up to 12, or you can go 18, 25, but it helps having a visual for a child and also teaching them the vocabulary, that feelings. We have one mom on our team who her child is at a point where he's working really hard to express his emotion, but to him, every emotion, he says, I'm angry. And so she's trying to expand his vocabulary. He knows he's feeling something, and so she's trying to expand his vocabulary. So she printed this out because it's our responsibility to equip them and to help them develop an emotional vocabulary. I've told y'all, I told y'all last week that I have two kids um, that are complete opposites. Emily is ready to express her emotion at any time and her feelings, which is awesome. We had to give her the vocabulary and the self-control to assume responsibility for those feelings and then to express it in a productive and effective way. Then we have Joe over here. He feels stuff, maybe not quite as much, but what he does feel, he feels deeply. But he, we had to work with and pull it out of him. I had to watch him. I had to watch his facial expressions, watch for any behavior change, and then give him the coaxing and the encouragement, create the environment where he could learn to express his emotion. And whatever extreme your kid is coming from, it's your responsibility to help them articulate it. And so that's that's what we're going to talk about today. I love, love, love this because I think it's so empowering to kids. And we talk about um, emotional strength and bravery is actually, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, actually says, you know, it is a mental fortitude, a mental strength to do something even when you're afraid or even when it's difficult or even when perhaps you failed before. So we're looking at equipping our kids to be brave, equipping our kids to react. When we give them emotional vocabulary, we want to stay away from extremes. If I see my four-year-old who's nervous about going to a party, I'm not going to say, honey, it's okay, you have social anxiety. 
You know, and, and we laugh, guys, but I've heard people do it or say in front of a child, I think she has social anxiety. You know what? I mean, that's a pretty weighty term. Or, you know what? I had another mom say, you know what? We were, uh, my daughter, she had a panic attack the other day. And I'm like, okay. Um, and I didn't say a word until the mom said, what do you think? And I was waiting for her to ask me. And I said, you know what? Um, I think she was probably nervous. I think she was probably feeling a lot. I would stay away from terms like panic attack um, or phobia or social anxiety or whatever it is. I would stay away from things that are actually diagnoses. Because when we use that terminology flippantly, we actually overstate what's happening to most people. We overstate, but we actually then underplay what's really happening to a handful of people. So it's super important that we react in the appropriate way. We've already said that. So how do we react? What are we supposed to do? And I'm talking about everyday fears. I'm talking about the things, and we're going to get, we're going to list some of those things. I'm not talking about the big things. We are huge proponents of counseling. We are huge proponents. If you don't know how to handle a situation with your kid, there's no shame in their parenting game. And we are all about asking for help. We are all about going to a counselor. I told you I went to a counselor when Emily was four. My degree is special education. I took class after class on behavior management and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't feel equipped. And so I went to someone who was. And, I, and I'm, we, we have no shame in asking for help. So we talk about how to approach any um, emotion that your child is feeling. And the first thing we do is separate the emotion from the behavior. Separate the emotion from the behavior. When it comes to fear, when I talk about separating the emotion from the behavior, you want to study your child. Study your child so that you notice patterns in behavior and you notice any change in behavior. So you think, well, my child's not afraid right now, or my child's so young right now. This is the best time to study your kid and to get to know your kid, to see what upsets them, to see what frustrates them, to see how they respond, to see how they cry, what upsets them, what changes the expression on their faces. Some signs that a child may be anxious or fearful about something may include becoming clingy, impulsive or distracted, nervous movements such as temporary, temporary twitches, problems sleeping or staying asleep, sweaty hands, accelerated heart rate and breathing, nausea, headaches, stomach aches. Now, I'm not saying if your kid has a stomach ache that he's anxious about something. He may have a stomach ache. He may just have eaten something bad, but I am saying if there is a chronic illness like a headache or a stomach ache or nausea, my responsibility as mom is just to go, okay, let me just look. Is there something going on? Let me try to talk to him. I have mentioned before that my son in sixth grade had a football coach who was less than stellar and who was um, yelling at the kids a lot um, out of the parents' sight and saying things to them that he shouldn't have been saying, um, like, you know, don't tell your parents I said this. And then he was shaming any kid who would quit. It got pretty bad. It, we, we found out later. Well, during that time, parents were calling us. We were all talking, and I'm watching Joe's behavior. My husband and I were asking Joe questions like, you know, um, how's practice going? We're thinking we're, we don't want to lead him, but we want to open up the conversation, and we have a, a culture of trust in our home, and so I thought I was asking all the right questions, and 
We noticed that Joe was having chronic headaches and nausea. I'm taking him to the doctor. He's having tests run. It was another mother who's actually a Titus II mom. And she said to me, she said, Julie, I think I know why Joe um, is sick. And I said, what? What do you think? And she goes, I think it's because of football. And I go, what are you talking about? We've asked him. He said, and she goes, I really think so. So we said to Joe, finally, it just had gone on for so long and we'd had tests run. And I said, buddy, um, we think we know why uh, you are having headaches and stomach aches and you're throwing up a lot. And my husband looked at him and Max said, we, we think um, it's your coach. I'm going to try to say it without getting emotional, but tears started coming down his face. And he said, I thought y'all liked him. And I said, oh, honey, we, we, we are so grateful that you're so obedient and that you had such grit and tenacity to stay at it. But I think what's happening is you want to obey, but you know something is not right. And that tug of war in your stomach is causing you to be sick. And he said, I think so too. Obviously, we quit that day. And um, so did many other parents, but uh, that was the last day for us. I beat myself up over that for years. I still, if I think about it, I feel such guilt. I will say this. Here's the Romans 8, 28. I said to Joe that day, I said, buddy, this is what we now know about you. If you're feeling nauseous, if you're having headaches, you need to stop and say, is something bothering me? And so Joe was able to look at the behavior and then to separate it from the feeling. He was able to say, oh, maybe this behavior is a sign of something. And so he goes off to college his freshman year. He's, he's there for you know, a month or two. And I call him. I'm like, hey, buddy, how's it going? He goes, mom, I have not thrown up one time. I said, that is amazing. Yeah, I can tell that you have chosen the right place for you. And he now, he's now aware of that. So that's a Romans 8.28 of what I can tell you was one of my lowest mom moments ever. Um, but I trust that God will use it in his life and make him stronger because of it. Sometimes Joseph has to acknowledge the nausea that maybe it's making him uncomfortable and he has to fight through it anyway. But sometimes he recognizes the nausea or recognizes the headache and goes, oh, maybe there's something I can change here. And so you have to teach them that wisdom and discernment. We have to study our kids, study our kids, and listen to them and create a culture of trust. I talk about playing games all the time. We play games so that we create an environment and we lighten the mood so that our kids can tell us stuff. It's all strategy, people. It's not just Candyland. Okay, and the next one is pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Wisdom and discernment, how to respond, what to say. Guys, there's no guidebook for this. Every kid is different. I'd love to tell you, you do these three things, you're set to pop. But I'm telling you, you do these three things today, they may work beautifully. But with your other kid, you may have to do a completely different three things. Pray for wisdom and discernment. And talk to your kid's teacher and your kid's counselor or your kid's pediatrician. Super important to stay in touch with them. So we separate the emotion from the behavior. And sometimes with fear, we have to watch those behaviors and say, oh, maybe that is a sign of fear or discomfort. Next is validate the fear. Be so aware of your tone. This is where moms, we have to choose self-control. We have to say, take a deep breath. I'm not gonna overreact. 
I'm going to have a matter-of-fact tone, just like Deanne did. Deanne said, oh, I can see that you're upset. That totally makes sense to me. She validated it. Number one, don't belittle the fear. Are you seriously scared of that dog? Oh my gosh, that dog weighs eight pounds, you know. And, and so it may be ridiculous, but it's real to them. What, it may be ridiculous to you, but it's real to them. Validate and don't belittle the fear. Don't belittle the fear. But don't cater to the fear. You use a matter-of-fact tone. And so, look, here's my pendulum right here. Here is, um, you know, belittling the fear. Here is catering to the fear. Here's where we have to be, which requires wisdom and discernment. Knowing your child, knowing your situation, understanding sometimes you'll do this and sometimes you'll do this, and you'll go, no, this is where I need to be. I want to acknowledge it with a matter-of-fact tone. I want to try to dig and see what we can do about it, but I'm not going to belittle or cater to. I'm going to be careful about my language. I'm going to use words that are simple and clear, and I'm not going to go immediately to diagnosis. I'm going to approach it with, oh, okay, so you think you're afraid. Well, let's talk about it. What could that be? And we just talk through it. And so sometimes it's in a hurry. And so you know what? I know that you're afraid. We're going to talk about that. You remind me. Lock it in your brain. And come back and we'll circle back to it if we can't talk about it right then. But I want to talk to you about it because that's so interesting. There are things I'm afraid of too. I I wonder if we're afraid of the same things. Boom, move on. You see how my tone now set the tone for how he or she is going to talk about it. No shame about fear, but no feeding the fear. Again, my response determines whether my child is frozen, freeze in the fear, and now it gets bigger and bigger. You know, if if, uh, Dan hadn't taken Jax to the doctor... The longer he stayed away from the doctor, the bigger his fear would be. If it's something that has to be done, a dentist, a doctor, um, a classroom, whatever it is, we, we got to figure out how to get there. You have to allow your child to develop at his or her own pace. We say that all the time when it comes to speech or when it comes to reading or when it comes to physical development. we got to do the same thing for emotional development. Encourage. We create that culture of trust, but don't be what happens if we're not careful. You have a clingy kid who, um, you know, attaches to your leg like Velcro in a crowd. You're embarrassed by it or you're afraid of it, and now you overreact. And you're like, he's going to be like this forever. Or you start to belittle it. You want everybody else to recognize, I know that this is weird. I know. I know I can't do anything about it. Now, what have you done? What have you done to this child? You got, you know what? I'm not acknowledging it, okay? I'm just going to, you know, limp on in there. Do what you need to do. But recognize that your response is pretty important. Ask yourself, is this child's fear or behavior typical? for your child's age. Typical fears like with a toddler, noises, um, separation, um, sudden movement, uh, let's see, large um, looming objects, unfamiliar strangers. It may just be normal. It may be a developmental thing. Preschoolers, dark, you know, dark rooms, dark places, noises at night, monsters. These are all typical and developmentally appropriate. How you respond may feed the fear and cause them to freeze or free them of the fear um, through development. Again, it's not like if I handle this right, we'll be done tomorrow night. It's a process. It's a process, people. And some of us, we're more likely to be afraid. I will probably fight the fear of public speaking for the rest of my life. 
and you laugh at me, but I'm, I'm like, this is a fear. Every time I get up here, I'm choosing to fight my fear every time. And I don't know if I, I asked Mac, I'm like, for crying out loud, when will this get easier? You know, and it may just be something that I deal with forever, but I know I get stronger every time. And I know that this is something. And so it may be a fear that you never get rid of, but you have to choose to overcome every day. You have to choose. And, and that's, that's part of the process. Um, and then you talk to when the, when, you're, when the fear seems unreasonable and you're thinking, oh, this is, this is more extreme. My child's fear is more than I think other kids. And number one, it's super important. I said to be in touch with your pediatrician or teacher, someone who sees other children because we do not have subjective. I mean, we are subjective. We do not have objective opinions when we're looking at our own children. So we need to talk to someone who knows other kids that age, a pediatrician, a counselor, um, a doctor. And so then we trust them and say, you know, do I need to get help? Is this fear irrational? Can you give me some tools to handle it? Because I am less likely to panic if I have a plan. And so if you don't have tools in your tool belt that you feel like you're working for your child for crying out loud, get some help and get some. Because it may just be that you need a professional to say to you, you are doing exactly right. And that may be all that you need and that'll be worth whatever you pay for it because we need to be careful and be aware that our response matters. Next, we're gonna educate our children. Educate your child on how to process, express, and overcome, how to process and respond to fear. Help your child rate the fear. I used to say this about Emily. Emily screamed if she was mad at Joe, if she saw you know, a dragon in the front yard. It, it was exactly the same thing. And I would say, honey, that's a 911 scream. And I'm gonna call an ambulance if I hear that again. And you're gonna have to explain to the ambulance driver that actually, no, my brother was just bothering me. And so we want to help our kids rate fear. So if you've got an older kid, maybe you say on a scale of one to 10, tell me where you are. How afraid are you? Is it a little bit afraid and maybe we can talk about it and overcome or, or is this a big fear? Okay, I wanna know, I wanna help me understand. Help them rate the fear. Or with little kids, you go, okay, so like, is it up to your knees? Are you up to your knees in fear? Is it at your waist? Where is it? Tell me where your fear is. It, it helps them to talk about it when you can help them rate it. We're trying to give them tools to look and to self-evaluate and to um, you know, self-regulate. That's what we're trying to do. So help them rate their fear. And then teach strategies to fight the fear. Get some strategies in your tool belt that you can then allow them to be in their tool belt. So what are some strategies? When we give them tools, when we give them strategies, we're actually giving them hope and control. We're actually saying, I see that you are fearful, and guess what? There's something you can do about it. There's some things out of your control, but there are some things in your control. So let's talk about it. What have you been watching on TV? What have you been listening to? What games have you been playing? Is there something that you can control? We're actually trying to get them to look and try to discover the source of the fear. They may not be able to discover it. Joe had an irrational fear of police. I promise I've never been arrested. Uh, but he was, you know what we figured out? Scooby-Doo. Yeah, he wasn't afraid of the mummies or the monsters. It was the people being arrested at the end of the show. So we said, oh, okay, I can see how that could be scary. So let's not watch Scooby-Doo. 
you know, for a while. And so what we did, that was something he could control. And so it decreased his fear by knowing there was something he could do about it. So what are some strategies? We fight the fear with facts. So with Joe and his fear of police officers, we uh, said that they're actually good. And if you follow the rules, odds are you won't be arrested. Um, and, you know, good news, nobody in our family's ever been arrested. And trying to give them some facts. Trying to, we listen to the fear, validate the fear. They're monsters in my closet. Well, let's go see which is the next one. You fight the fear with facts and you fight the fear together. I'll go with you. Let's go in the closet together and see. Oh, there are monsters under my bed. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Very matter of fact, I'm not going to make fun of it. I'm not going to feed it. Don't make fun. Don't feed the fear. But fight it together. Whether it's dogs, whether it's the dark, whatever it is, you're with them. You're with them. Okay? You're not feeding it. You're matter of fact in your tone. Fight fear with good thoughts and deep breaths. This is what I mean by controlling what we take in. I know that because I, I had this irrational fear that my kids were going to be kidnapped all the time, Mac would say, no more 2020 or true story, you know, based on a true story. He's like, yeah, no, you're not watching any of that. I had to be careful because it grew and grew in my mind. And so guess what? That was something I could control. And so I had to acknowledge that. If there's something that you're fearful of and you're feeding it, be aware and change it. You don't have to feed it. Be aware of what your kids are feeding. And then deep breaths. Deep breaths. That's a great tool to give your kids. If they have a wound, cold water. If they're feeling any kind of emotion, deep breaths. Deep breaths help everything. It drops your heart rate. Drops your breathing rate. Drops and will probably drop a lot of the fuel of the emotion. And it helps us think rationally. So deep breaths. And, and that's a great tool to give your kid because any age can breathe deeply. And the um, activity of saying there are things that I cannot control, so let me list all the things I can control. That's actually very helpful for kids. And if they can't write, they can do it verbally. And then also for kids who can write, journaling, journaling, it's just, it's a good tool. It's a good thing to get it out, to learn to express it, draw a picture, whatever it is. We want them to do something. Just give them a tool in their tool belt, and they will feel more confident, and they will feel like they can handle it. And then fight fear with prayer and truth, prayer and truth. Remind your children that God is in control all the time. You are actually never alone. God says, I am with you always. I'm with you to the ends of the earth. And we focus on scripture, memorizing scripture, like Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Not just because I need to be strong and courageous, but the next part, be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know that if God calls me to it, he equips me for it. I know that God is with me. I'm teaching them these truths, which is why you partner with the local church. I can't say it enough. It, we are very strategic at our church in what we teach our children. We teach them scripture that we know they will hide in their hearts and the Holy Spirit will remind them when they need it. So it partner with a local church. You're not supposed to be able to do it on your own. Um, the church is a partner with you to help teach your kid these spiritual truths, to give them the courage they need to overcome, not to freeze, but to be free of the fear. Same for you. Same for you. Make sure you are filling your mind with truth. Memorize scripture. Joshua 1.9, I can't say it enough. When a kid has strategies, a kid is more empowered to face the fear with fight. 
That's what we need to give them, strategies and hope and control. That you can't control everything, but let me control the things I can. It just makes them feel empowered. It makes them feel like they have a say in the matter. When you feel, and if you have a newborn and you're like, my entire life is out of control, you need to get out a piece of paper right now and you write down everything you can control. Because there are some things. Our tendency is to look at everything we can't control. I need you to choose to list what you can control. I'm going off topic here because I've been studying for next fall and I'm super excited, but I'm gonna stop there. Next fall, I'm gonna talk about all of that and how we can retrain our brain and reframe our thoughts. It's super important. And then we empower our kids to do the same. Just like any other topic, the best thing I can do to help my kid overcome fears is to learn how to overcome fears myself. And so today, I want you to say, God, I want to be honest. I want to be humble. I want to be who you created me to be. I know you've created me to live in your courage and your wisdom and your discernment. And I'm leaning into you and I'm leaning on you because he never fails. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word, God, and all the promises that we can memorize, that we can dwell on, that we can ponder on, that we can just make part of our everyday language. We are grateful that you are the creator and the sustainer of life. You are the source of all that is good. You are the source of our strength, You are the source of everything we need to be the moms you created us to be. We are grateful that you are with us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do y'all know what I love about this lecture is the way that Julie puts fear in its place. Fear is an emotion that's meant to guide us. Fear keeps us safe. Fear keeps us out of danger. Fear alerts us when there's something that's just not quite right. But fear is an emotion. It's not meant to be a decision maker. Rather, it's meant to guide us in our decision making. And before we can teach our kids to use fear to guide, not decide, we need to take a moment, as Julie said, to be humble and reflect upon where is fear in in our lives, where is fear being used as a decider? And so we're going to take a a few minutes to think about that today. For example, how would you feel if I said you need to stay off of social media for three days? Do you immediately get FOMO? Is your heart racing? (laughs) Or a knot in your stomach? Or maybe it's not social media, but maybe for you, fear is, is driving you to frequently check your child's grades in the school's gradebook portal. What if I said, can you go a week without looking at your child's grades? Or maybe the fear of being tardy in the morning is driving you to wake up your kids instead of letting them wake up to an alarm clock. Or maybe it's not a fear of being late, but a fear of not being needed. What about fear? Is anyone having fear prevent you from having a difficult conversation? Maybe you're afraid to let someone down or afraid to hurt someone's feelings, or maybe you're afraid to get your own feelings hurt. Or maybe conflict, even good conflict, just makes you really uncomfortable. So now take a minute to sit up straight, put your shoulders back, take a deep breath, and as you exhale, I want you to think about how you would feel on the other side of those fears. 
If it's social media that you can't imagine not looking at, I want you to think about the things that you'd be free to do if you weren't distracted by other people's highlight reel. On your walk, instead of listening to a podcast, listen to the birds. At the stoplight, embrace the amazing wildflowers that are on the sides of the highways everywhere right now. Play outside with your kids in this gorgeous weather. Look into your husband's eyes when you're talking to him. And when you think about those things, how does that not in your stomach feel? Or maybe if it's a grade book, imagine how different your conversations would be with your child about school if it wasn't focused on grades. You can, what are you reading in LA? Who are the characters? What's the conflict? What do you like about that book? What do you dislike? Can you relate to anything in that story? And your conversations are much richer and you learn much more about your child than you do when you're just asking about grades. Let's talk about alarm clocks. If your child gets up independently, you have 20 to 30 minutes to yourself in the morning. You could sleep for 20 to 30 more minutes. Or you could do a morning devotional with a hot cup of coffee. Or you could work out or shower or curl your hair. Your child's independence gives you freedom. Can I get an amen to that? And if you are, maybe you have a little one and alarm clocks are way off, you still have an infant, what about turning over the morning feeding to your husband? He's not going to do it like you, but they'll do it. They'll get through, and that's a little bit of independence that you can give to your baby and a little bit of freedom you can give to yourself. And maybe it's an uncomfortable conversation. Let's think back. A few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, Brene Brown's research about when you have to have a difficult conversation or approach something really uncomfortable, how long does that dreadful, uncomfortable feeling last once you start the conversation? Does anyone remember? Maybe some of you online remember? Eight seconds. That's right. You just look for eight when they pull the gate, as George Strait would say. You can do it. You can get through it. And no matter how the conversation goes, it's going to give you feedback and information that will guide your next steps no matter what they are. And so as the music comes on, we're going to take two minutes to think about where is fear driving you in your life? Maybe you could relate to one of those topics, but maybe it's something entirely different. And so as always, we'll stop to think and pray, asking God to see things as they really are. And then we'll evaluate ourselves, taking an honest look at where we're using fear as our decider. And then we'll make a list of the things that we can do to, to downgrade fear's authority and use it to, its feedback to guide us in our decision-making. And last, we'll commit to the important part, the fight. That taking action when we walk out of these doors or when we finish watching or listening online and get back into our busy lives. And for those of you who are watching or listening online, this is your cue to grab a pen and paper and set your own, yourself a two-minute timer so that you can participate in the reflection as well. If you will, bow your heads with me. God, we are so thankful for the range of emotions you have equipped us with. We appreciate the way you use fear to help protect us and keep us safe. In the next few minutes, God, clear our minds and calm our hearts especially today, God, as we process our response to fear. Help us see the actions we can take or changes we can make to keep fear our guide on the side. God, we ask you this morning that when fear takes over, you will help us fight fear with your truth. We can be strong and courageous because we know that you are with us everywhere we go and in everything we do. God, we love you, and we are thankful for your enduring presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.